chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1. As we continue here in our study in Colossians that we began two weeks ago, those of you who weren't with us last week, uh, we took a slight detour to the book of Judges, uh, and so we are continuing now in Colossians, Colossians 1, verses 3 through 8. If you're using one of the Bibles provided in the rows there for you, it's page 983, page 983, and as you make your way there, let's pray, and I'll read our passage this morning. Father, we thank you for what you've accomplished through Jesus Christ. As we've sung, Jesus, thank you. We were your enemies, but now we are brought near. We are in Christ. We are part of him. We are united with him. And Lord, because of that, we have access to you. We have a standing and our sins are forgiven. Thank you. Lord, help us now as we come to your word. Lord, that you would use it, that we would meditate on it, that you would make us more like Jesus through it. Lord, help me to clearly explain the text, to draw out the meaning, or that we'd apply it to our lives, and that, Lord, ultimately we would be pointed to Christ today. We pray in His name. Amen. Colossians chapter 1, verses 3-8. through 8. Paul writes, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister on Christ of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. As we continue here in Colossians, Paul uh, expands his normal greeting like we looked at in verses 1 and 2. Last or two weeks ago, talking about our identity, who he is, who his co-worker is, and who the Colossians are. And now he moves into a prayer of thanksgiving. And this is his normal pattern. He gives thanks uh, for what he is hearing about in these churches. Um, usually, right? Here's looking at you, churches in Galatia. Um, he gives thanks for what is happening. But what's interesting here in this prayer of thanksgiving is that he is setting it up for the coming argument against the false teachers, which he'll get to eventually. But already he's starting to lay out the foundation of who these believers are and how they came about and how they can know Christ and the gospel how they do know. He's doing this by having the Colossians focus on what they know about the gospel and about its effect in their lives. Specifically, giving thanks for the hope that they have in heaven, which is theirs by being in Christ. In chapter 2, which is the main argument that Paul uses against the false teachers, it seems that this these false teachers were, were seeking to promote a uh, mysticism, a Christianity that was full of kind of this nebulous, higher life, you know, these experience, experiential things of having these experiences, this mysticism, this, this higher plane in which you attain more and more. And Paul here is laying the groundwork, says, no, you know Jesus 
through the word of truth. And we give thanks for that. So as we look here at verses 3 through 8, we'll see how the gospel, it moves us to gratitude, to thankfulness, because of its work in the lives of fellow believers. So we think of gospel gratitude, of being grounded in the gospel here. It moves us to giving thanks, to being grateful because of its work in the lives of fellow believers. One author says this, and this is a great quote. When there is no prayerful contemplation of divine blessings, there can be no attitude of thanksgiving. Continual reflection on the giver of good gifts causes us to be more conscious of and thankful for those gifts. Christians impoverish themselves when they do not prayerfully consider how they have experienced God's grace. And this theological impoverishment results in an unthankful attitude. To the extent that one has a prayerful attitude, to that extent one will have an attitude of thanksgiving. What he's saying there in that quote is that we do a disservice to ourselves as believers in Jesus Christ when we neglect meditating on the gospel and what God has done for us in Christ. When we take our eyes off of God and what he's done, we often then turn our eyes to things that we don't like or things that we complain about when he's saying, and we'll see this reflected here in Colossians 3 through 1, 3 through 8, so when we turn our eyes to Christ in the gospel, it causes us to be thankful people. And when we are thankful people for who God is, we see that thankfulness make its way out in our lives through our relationships with others. So let's look how and why we give thanks by the power of the gospel here. First off, as we think of the gospel moving us to gratitude, is we give thanks through prayer. We give thanks through prayer. So how do we give thanks? Paul says it here, he gives thanks by praying. Now you might think that that's a very duh point. <laughs> and to a certain extent, it is, right? How do we give thanks to God? Well, we pray. We praise him. But that's an important thing to remember. Because often when we don't give thanks, we look at our prayer life and I think there's a lack of it look at the content of prayers throughout the Bible, the majority of the prayers are giving thanks to God. Now, there are prayers where people request things of God. They ask things. They, they bring their supplication. That's good and right to do. But most often, any prayer has an aspect of thanksgiving to it. And not necessarily a thanksgiving of what somebody has received, but a thanksgiving of who God is and what he's done. It's focused on God. And we see here, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we see a little bit of some of the, the roles of the Trinity played out here. They are thanking God, the Father, who is Lord, or excuse me, who is Father of Lord Jesus Christ. So we give thanks to the Father, and we do this through prayer. He says, when we pray for you. So this giving thanks through prayer, it's done regularly. Paul says we always thank God. We don't sometimes, we don't, if we remember to, no, we always, when they pray, they always give thanks to God. They do it through prayer. When we pray for you, it's an 
activity that's done regularly. And we see this reflected again and again in Paul's writing. In, in Philippians, he prays for them. In, uh, in Ephesians, he prays for the church and praises God. 1 Thessalonians chapters 1 and 2 talks about Paul's care and concern and prayer for the saints there in Thessalonica. Again and again, this is a regular activity of Paul and his companions, praying and giving thanks to God for what God has done. And it's an act of worship. It's an, it's an act of worship. Thanking God for his work. He is the object of it. Praying and giving thanks go hand in hand. It's why we pray during our services. We open in prayer. We have a pastoral prayer. We pray around the time of the word. That, that's an important part of it when we gather together. Praying regularly. And here Paul says, We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Why? Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. What are they giving thanks for? What is happening in the lives of the Colossians? Remember, Paul has never met the Colossians face to face. He's only heard of their faith. And he's praying for someone he's never met. He's heard of their faith. That's a great privilege we have as believers today is to pray for others that we do not know we may never meet. As we get reports from our missionaries to pray for so-and-so and so-and-so, we more than likely will not meet these people. But praying for them, we can give thanks to God. That's why we pray for our sister churches. Some of you might know the pastors or meet them time to time, but to pray for the churches themselves. Because the pattern here for Paul, the gospel, and what God is doing is far bigger, and we'll see that here in a little bit, than just our church. And it's good to be reminded of that. And it's a way in which we worship. We give thanks through prayer regularly, always, when we pray. It's an act of worship, thanking God for who he is and what he's done to the Father because of Jesus. And we see some of the content here because of their faith, faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that they have for all the saints. We see here, what the gospel has accomplished and why Paul is giving thanks. The gospel has saved them. <clears throat> Heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. They have faith in Christ and love for others. We'll see this pattern repeated again here in Colossians where the gospel leads to faith in Christ, the vertical, which then leads to the horizontal, love for others, love for others. So we give thanks through prayer. That's how we give thanks. But then why? Secondly, we give thanks because of the hope it brings. We give thanks because of the hope it brings. Look at verse 5. This goes back to we always thank God. That's the main idea here in this passage is we always thank God when they pray because they heard Verse 5, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So this is an important idea here in, uh, in the book of Colossians, is the idea of hope, where our hope is at, where our hope 
is at. Look at the location here. Because, Paul says, or on the basis of the hope laid up for you in heaven. This hope. This hope is not a subjective hope. This hope is not, uh, I hope it warms up. I hope it snows. I hope we have a snow day. I hope this, 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 all right? That term of hope is, I would like for this to happen, but I really don't know if it will. This hope is a sure hope. And why is it a sure hope? Well, we'll look at the location. It's laid up for them in heaven. Where is the location of their hope? Heaven. Who is in heaven? Well, generally we would say God, but specifically we can say Jesus Christ, right? As Jesus was crucified, resurrected, he was with the disciples, and then he ascended into heaven where he sits at the right hand of the Father. Their hope is laid up in heaven. That verbiage is interesting because it reminds us of Jesus' words, right? Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, not on earth, where moth and rust destroy and robbers break in and steal, right? Laying up for yourself treasures in heaven. In Colossians 3, we're going to read about Jesus and Paul's encouragement to seek the things that are above where Christ is. This idea of being in heaven, location. So where is their hope? We give thanks because of the hope that the gospel brings. And this hope is not in material things. This hope is not on earth in a sense, in human people, but rather in Christ who is in heaven. So the question is, where is your hope located? Is it in material things? Unearthly things? What are you grabbing onto? The hope that's laid up for them in heaven. And how do you know it's a sure hope? That this hope will come to pass? Look at the second phrase here, verse 5. He says, of this, and he's talking about the hope. The of this, this is the hope laid up. Of this, you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. This hope, what is this hope? Well, it's Christ, and we've heard of it. How? How did they hear about it? It comes from the word of truth, the gospel. We have a little uh, hint here to what Paul thinks about the gospel. Can you trust the gospel? Is it something that's made up or is it something real? <laughs> it's the word of truth. The word of truth is synonymous with the gospel. The gospel is truth. We cling to the gospel and it's not a fool's errand. It's not something uh, that's, that's made up or something that is a hope Maybe this will happen, but it's sure. The gospel is sure. You've heard it before. In the word of truth, the gospel. We see here Paul highlighting three different ideas that you might recognize, right? Faith, hope, and love from the end of 1 Corinthians 13. And we see these ideas of faith in Christ, of the hope that is laid up, love for all the saints. We see this again and again, Paul's favorite trip, but here he highlights the idea of hope. Hope is sure. It's based on the word of truth, the gospel. And Paul is subtly building his argument against the false teachers because what is the word of truth? It's the gospel. 
the false teachers were not proclaiming the gospel. They were adding to it or saying it was something else. Paul is subtly building his argument until he comes right out and says it in chapter 2 against the false teachers. You don't need to believe the mysticism and the subjective experience that these false teachers are promoting. Trust the sure word that you have heard and you know. If you're here this morning and, and you're struggling to think, ah, oh, I want to... I want to grow in in my my Christian life and I want this and this. And sometimes we can get that attitude. We want more and more. And we need to find this and find that. We're always seeking more and more and more information or a different way to look at this when we need to be reminded, no, we go back to the source of truth, God's word, the gospel. It is enough. Sometimes we overcomplicate things. It can't be that easy, right? Having this conversation yesterday with, with Ron and Violet, uh, at, at the hospital, talking about the gospel, the free gift. Like, it's, it's simple. It's, it's free. Trust in Christ. Why do people not get it? Because of sin, selfishness, pride, their own blindness. But even as believers, we trust in Christ. We say, now we need something else. We need something more, a different way of thinking, this and that. It's like, no, do not move on from the word of truth. Yes, grow in that word of truth. Seek to understand it more and, and have it impact your life. But realize that that is the basis. That's where we need to come back to. That is our hope and sure foundation. It's not some mystical teaching. It's not some hidden reality. We have it clearly laid out for us. Maybe you've experienced something like this um, when you are learning a skill or a trick and you watch somebody and it looks difficult. You're like, man, I wish I knew how to do that. That must be really complicated. And then you talk to that person who knows what's going on. They say, no, you just do this. And you're like, it can't be that easy. It can't be that simple. My dad is very mechanically minded. I've talked about that before. And he knows all these little tricks. And I was trying to figure out something on... Uh, I, I was our, one of our old, older cars, and I was confused, and I looked at too many YouTube videos, and I, that's this, this, this. In my mind, it was this huge problem. And I talked to him, and he says, do this one thing. And I did it, and he goes, that's it. You fixed it. Like, it can't be that easy. Yeah. I think we try and overcomplicate things, and we move on from the simple truth of trusting in Jesus Christ and clinging to that. His hope is sure. It's laid up for us in heaven. It's based on the word of truth, the gospel. We give thanks because of the hope that is laid up for us and the hope that it brings. Thirdly, we give thanks for the fruit that the gospel it is, for the fruit that the gospel is bearing. So we give thanks through prayer. We give thanks because of the hope that is laid up for us and we give thanks for the fruit that the gospel is bearing. Verse 6, speaking of the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing. Paul immediately zooms in, says, you have believed in the gospel, but this gospel is bearing fruit in the whole world. In the whole world. It is bearing fruit. 
as it does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Again, the idea of the grace of God in truth. Its veracity can be trusted. But this idea of the gospel is bearing fruit among you, but it's also bearing fruit around the world. Paul is demonstrating that the gospel is universal. The gospel is for everyone. The gospel is for every nation, tribe, tongue, every people. But the gospel is also bigger than local falsehoods. They're embroiled in some sort of conflict here with these false teachers. It's creeping in. And sometimes it's good to be, remem- be reminded that there's more than just the, 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 the location where you're at. God's at work there, but God's at work in many other ways as well. It's good for us to be reminded of how the gospel is at work all over the place. Sometimes we can focus too much of what's right in front of us and some of the issues there, and you take a step back and think, man, God is doing some awesome things. The gospel is at work, and it's bearing fruit, and it's increasing as it does among you. The gospel is universal. The gospel is powerful and fruitful. It's changing people like it changed the Colossians. Bearing fruits in relationships and people coming to trust Christ and how people are interacting with one another. Verse 7, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. So they learned it from Epaphras. Somebody came to them, shared with them the gospel. He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. The truthfulness of Scripture, of the gospel, is transferred by people to other people. It's communicated through faithful men like Epaphras to the Colossians. For there are numerous others as well who went and shared the gospel. God uses faithful men and women to spread the gospel, to be used by him to see the gospel bear fruit. It's the gospel that does it. He's a faithful servant of Christ, faithful minister on your behalf, has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Paul gives thanks through prayer because of the hope that they have the hope that every believer has is laid up in heaven because of Jesus and because that the gospel is at work. It's bearing fruit. He's hearing what's going on. He says, I'm thankful. You are participating in a line of churches that have received the gospel and is bearing fruit. We can say that today about sister churches that we know that are faithful to the word of God. We give thanks for what God is doing. It's bigger than we think and doing more than we know. The gospel is at work. The truth of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, the need for sinful men and women to trust in Christ, to confess and repent of their sin, that mindset, that, that objective truth of what Jesus has done changes lives. It changes churches. It changes the world. We need to keep our eyes up and our eyes open for how God is at work. 
The gospel moves us to gratitude because of its work in the lives of fellow believers. We give thanks through prayer. We give thanks because of the hope it brings. And we give thanks for the fruit that it is bearing. So a couple ideas here of application for us. I already sprinkled a few in, but just a few ideas for us to think about. First off, rejoice in the gospel and give thanks for it. You might say, well, yeah, Pastor Greg, duh. Yeah, <laughs> do it. Rejoice in the gospel and give thanks for it. Rejoice in the gospel and give thanks for it. I love when you have something cool, a picture, a, a poster, a painting, something that you hang on the wall and you're like, wow, that's really neat. But then as you look at it and studying it and you see the intricacies, you appreciate it all the more. And it doesn't have to be anything immense and grand. Eden loves to draw pictures of our family, stick, you know, stick pictures of our family. And it's so funny how you can definitely tell who everybody is. Like, you know who the one with the curly hair is. You know who the tallest one is. You know who the shortest one is. Ezra usually has spiky hair, you know. There's usually a flower and a sun, maybe a bird, you know. And you, you look at it, but then you slow down and you see, like, Oh, yeah, that's definitely Eden because she has the curls, but she also has a headband. That, that's Nora because she always likes to wear a bracelet. And this is Eden, you know, a, a six-year-old putting these pictures together. And so you, you look at it and say, oh, that's cute. But then the more you look at it, you realize, oh, wow, that's, that's intricate. That took, that took thinking, wow. You look at a, a bigger picture or something, and you see it, wow, that's neat. But then you start to investigate and look and notice all these little details and your appreciation grows for it all the more. And that's the same with the gospel. We need to rejoice in the gospel and give thanks for it. And as we understand the big picture, to, to look at it more intently, different aspects of it, right? It's like, a, it's like a jewel or a gem. It's beautiful, but yet you put it in the light and you see the different facets and the different way that the light shines through it and you have a greater appreciation for it. Reading scripture helps with that. Meditating on scripture helps with that. Reading faithful men and women who write good books can help on that. There's a great little book uh, called the, the Gospel Primer, or if you're British, the Gospel Primer, if you want to. And, and it, just, it just breaks down different aspects of the gospel through scripture about what God has accomplished for us. Rejoicing in the gospel and giving thanks. Reveling in God's divine blessing through Jesus. And when we are humbled again and again by focusing on the gospel, we realize how that humility and thankfulness plays itself out in our lives. Generally, we're not thankful people because we're selfish people. And we're selfish people because we've stopped meditating and glorying in the gospel. When we make it all about us, instead of realizing <laughs> we are sinners in need of a savior, and Christ calls us to humility. So rejoice in the gospel and give thanks for it. Secondly, give thanks for God's work in the lives of others. When's the last time you went up to someone and said, hey, I can see how you're growing and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for God's work in your life. Now that means that you need to know that individual in such a way that you can see that and that you're comfortable enough, comfortable enough saying that. But are you one who gives thanks for God's work in the lives of others. How God is faithful in the lives of others. Not only other people, but other churches. I'm so thankful for Pastor Adam Whitty at Temple Baptist in Charles City. 
Temple Baptist isn't a large church. But Pastor Adam is faithful in sharing the gospel. People have trusted Christ. People have gotten saved. People have been baptized. I'm thankful for God's work in that small church. I'm thankful in God's work in, in bigger churches and everywhere in between and wherever he's at work. I'm thankful for that. Are, are we thankful people in that way? And then thirdly here, rejoicing in the gospel, giving thanks for it, giving thanks for God's work in the lives of others and other churches. But realize this, the gospel that saves us is the same gospel that moves us to serve and to love others. Our Christianity is not solely individual. Yes, we are saved individually, meaning I, myself, you, yourself, as an individual, we need to put our faith and trust in Christ. But it's meant to be lived out corporately, together, and serving others. We see that in verse 4. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, right? Their love for all the saints. It's bearing fruits. It's increasing. The gospel that saves us, it moves us to serve and to love others faithfully in a grateful way. The gospel moves us to gratitude because of its work in the lives of fellow believers and in our own lives, right? We give thanks through prayer. We give thanks because of the hope that we have laid up for us in heaven. And we give thanks for the fruit that is bearing in our lives and the lives of others. So may we be grateful people who live lives of gratitude based on the hope, the sure hope of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. May the gospel move us to gratitude. The hope we have is secure because it's founded on the truth, the word of God. And may we seek to live that out as we seek to love others as grateful people. Lord, we love you. We're thankful for your work in the life of our church. Lord, in the life of others, I pray that you would help us be, be grateful people, that we would sing and lift our voices together, yes, but then also in the hallways throughout the week, on phone calls and text messages, that we would be people who give thanks for you and what you're doing in the lives of those around us. Lord, and ultimately we give thanks because of Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished on our behalf on the cross, that we have a hope that is laid up for us in heaven, that is unfading and kept and secure and sure. Lord, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.